This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. You can find all my work at MJWinners.com. Welcome to Red Panda Report. This time I am talking about episode 12 of the Red Panda Adventures, The Deadliest Game. Here's the copy and then I'll get right into my thoughts on the episode. What was, So first of all, this was uh, originally aired or released on June 10th, 2006. Again, this is episode 12 overall and here it is. Here's the copy. What does one do when one has seen it all, done it all, been to every corner of the former empire and hunted every quarry known to man? Where does the mighty hunter turn for a challenge? Colonel Barker Whiston Smith, late of his majesty's service, turns to the wilds of the urban jungle, and his quarry is the new breed of mystery man. But when he sets his sights upon the red panda, will he learn the folly of hunting the deadliest game? And that's it, pretty much. That's uh, that's the premise of the episode. It's pretty simple. Um, we do get some curious things in this episode. One, I liked it overall. Two, I have some interesting issues with it. And three, uh, there's some kind of landmark uh, nods or mentions or allusions to stuff in this episode that come up a lot later on in the series, which is part of what I enjoy so much about Red Panda Adventures and Greg Taylor's writing style even if I have a quibble or two with uh, some of the stuff here. So, anyway, we're going to talk about it all and unpack it. And, again, if you've got comments about this, thoughts about it, um, I'd love to hear from you. So, here we go. Uh, Mentions, first of all. Uh, Red Panda is on his way back from a super team team team-up against a heretofore unmentioned villain called Kid Chaos, who had threatened, who had gone back in time, so time travel is the thing in the Red Panda world, or universe, and was threatening to rewrite history. So Red Panda, along with Molecule Max, and I don't know who else, ended up going back in time, and uh, Kit's insanely jealous when she hears that he has a bracelet, I believe, from uh, Cleopatra, who is, is it Cleopatra Nefertiri? I think Nefertiri is said to be one of the most beautiful women in the world um, through history, but Cleopatra, I think, has that uh, ascribed to her as well. So, anyway, so it's all jealous. What were you doing with Cleopatra? Why'd she give you something? Did you say you wanted something for your sidekick? You know, all that kind of stuff. So, very much <coughs> a woman, right? <laughs> it's just the truth, isn't it? Uh, or at least her particular brand of woman. So, anyway, that was funny. A good moment. Uh, Red Panda also mentions a Molecule Max who needs to use the telephone. Uh, So, I don't know where all these superheroes were. I can't remember what team Molecule Max is said to be on, but he comes up later. I'm just giving you light spoilers. And we hear a little bit more of his team. Uh, I don't remember all the context of it, and I don't want to spoil it for you, so I'm not going to tell you at the moment, because it also is irrelevant to this episode. I really liked something about the... uh, Introduction of the Hunter, and I gotta be honest, his name is so hoity-toity it slips my mind, so I'm just gonna call him the Hunter, uh, and Mkwekwe, Mr. Mkwekwe is a cool character, uh, I like this idea and the image that I get in my mind of this little British hunter guy with a pith helmet or khakis or whatever, and then his huge, uh, I'm gonna guess like, you know, I don't, not Sub-Saharan, I mean Indian, um, I mean, he could have been anywhere. I don't know. I don't know if he's a black guy or if he's an Indian guy, but I feel like he's one of the two. Uh, so he's either from Africa or from India, from the, you know, East Indian area. And I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting that uh, in their final confrontation, and this is full spoilers, of course, right? I mean, you're ready for these spoilers? That uh, Mkwefe tells, tells 
the hunter that he used to be a good man and he was an honorable man and that's part of why he's serving him out of a desire uh, to honor what he did for his people and you know in his village and for him and that he is no longer that man and it's interesting because I don't know what's the what's the message there what's the lesson something about how an obsession with one's duty and one's uh I don't know, goal in life can lead one down a dark path and to become a dishonorable man and become basically a, a monster, I guess you could say, who needs to be uh, dealt with or who can go too far and will, you know, destroy himself through his own actions, which is exactly what the hunter does in this circumstance because he puts himself in the sights of the red panda and when the red panda freaks him out with his mind, Juju, uh, the guy <laughs> shoots himself. He literally destroys himself with his weapons and as a result of everything that he's done over the years. So then I wonder what you think about this. Did Red Panda end up going too far when he was uh, talking to Fingers McCoy, I think his name is? Um, you know, he does a very rough, torturous investigation of the man where he breaks maybe all ten of his fingers? I'm not exactly sure. But he's desperate. So, I mean, there's a couple other, like, you know, lore-type things to mention, like... Uh, whenever Kit and Red Panda go into or out of the base, or the headquarters, the, the lair, they are supposed to check in to a logbook that says when they were last there, and uh, I think a report afterwards from what they did, which is a cool idea, interesting idea, and it gives him all the, in a passive way, as long as the system is used, it's good, which is true of almost every system. Uh, but in a passive way, it gives Red Panda all the information he needs to know that something is up and that Kit is not safe for now. <clears throat> and then it enables him to uh, figure out what exactly uh, the problem is, and it leads him to fingers, and that leads him to finding her. But like I said, he, you know, he's beating this guy up, and then he breaks all ten of his fingers, which is pretty terrible. And I'm laughing at it because, you know, it didn't really happen. But, like, uh, you know, he operates outside of the law. He's a vigilante. I have no problem with that in principle. Um, like, when I was watching, back when I was watching Arrow, you know, he's murdering people or, you know, killing people. It depends on how you look at it. And I think it requires some nuance. I think at some point he, mur I think he murdered a few people. But I think most of the people he uh, was dealing with, he actually killed um, in a, you know, righteous, okay way that I don't think is morally repugnant. Um, but, yeah, at some point he, he went down a dark path. Uh for sure, but, you know, and Red Panda typically doesn't kill, but that doesn't mean he won't break all your fingers uh, in a really, you know, rough, uh, violent interrogation, and, uh, yeah, like, my morals tell me that, you know, torturing is wrong, and definitely I don't want, like, you know, the government to have the power to legally torture people, which they do anyway, right, um, because supposedly it's not effective, um, but also it's, you know, it's immoral, right, it's immoral to torture somebody like that, um, you know, he's, he's doing it to save Kit's life, uh, you know, so that's a justification for it. Uh, is it weird that, um, you know, there's this moral quandary, there's this big thing, I know it was like the big, you know, season finale, because they did 12 episodes a year at the time, or per season, however you want to suss that out. And, you know, uh, he did it to save Kit, but like, ultimately, she didn't need saving anyway, because she saved herself, because Taylor wants her to save herself and not be the damsel in distress because I don't know Margot Lane had that happen too much or something like that so it, I don't know if the justification is he's doing it to save Kit and he didn't know any better uh, but he was you know, torturing a man needlessly and at the same time 
I don't. It, it's just weird. It's weird. It, had she truly been in danger, it would make it a little more understandable that he tortured fingers. And you know, well, then your your morality isn't clear. Well, I mean, it's practical to some extent. I would say, um, you know, you shouldn't hurt people, but uh, when you do, but that doesn't mean you can't. And when you do, I think you need to have very good reasons to do it. Um, you know, how could he have known that Kit was safe and therefore he didn't need to go as far as breaking fingers fingers uh, in order to, you know, get the information he needed to save Kit? I don't know. I don't really know how you deal with that. But um, I think what's more interesting is that, as far as I know, it never gets brought back up. And when it gets brought back up a second time in this episode because Kit found out what happened, she thinks it's romantic and is, uh, excuse me, I'm trying to keep this as family, family friendly as possible, but she's basically, she sounds like she's turned on by it, which is weird. And, uh, like, it, it makes me think she's a psycho. And I gotta be honest, that's my one quibble with Red Panda, is that as cool as the stories all are, um, I don't know if it's, like, Taylor's, you know, pro-woman agenda, which I'm not anti-woman, <laughs> by the way, uh, and when you see my superhero stories with women uh, in them, I think you'll be impressed. I, like, purposely made uh, my original... I, uh, I'm going to get off on a tangent to sound like I'm not a you know, misogynist, but you who think I am already, it's not going to change your mind, but those who uh, think I'm you know, a comic skater or whatever, um, this might change your mind a little bit. I made sure when I made a superhero thing... What? Hold on, son. I made a whole superhero universe, and I purposely made it so there's only one white woman. Like, that's it. There's one white woman out of, like, 15 or 16 characters I made, and everybody else is... Oh, half of the cast are men. Uh, I've got old people. I've got young people. I have an animal. Yeah, you need to leave that here, sweetheart. I'm sorry. It's not for you. And uh, besides that, I have... Um, everybody's from all around the world. And I thought, it doesn't make sense that everybody would have superpowers in New York or Toronto and that they would all be concentrated in that way. But just because it's, you know, the law of... What is it? The law of large numbers? The law of averages? That, that doesn't make sense that that would be the case. I understand... Why Marvel and Stan Lee did it, and all that stuff, and I know he wasn't the only creator, but just, you know, he's the front man who claimed all the credit for it, so that's why he gets all the credit for it and gets all the accolades, because he said, hey, I'm the guy who did this, true believer, and everybody else, hold on to that, please, everybody else, uh, you know, stayed quiet about it for the most part and didn't claim credit, so, anyway, um, by no means is Stan Lee a perfect man, and I know I'm getting off on another tangent, but here we are. And, uh, I just, the discourse about him is insane, I think. So, I'm bringing a, a rational alternative. He gets all the credit, even if he didn't deserve it, because he was the one who said, hey, I did this. And nobody argued with him, seemingly. So, that's interesting. Anyway, moving on to this. Yeah, I made sure that I, I'm like my first, you know, I'm Mexican. I'm Mexican, you know, half Mexican, half Puerto Rican, all American. And anyway, I, uh, I made sure, not that I made sure, but... Like, I, I can't even think of who my first character was that I made for my big superhero universe that I'm slowly working on developing and turning into an awesome thing. You know, partly inspired by the awesome work of Taylor on Red Panda. Um, hold on. Anyway, I'm not an identitarian at all, so that's not, you know, that's not how I operate, that's not how I see the world. Uh, I see the world in terms of good and evil, um, you know, <laughs> free and unfree, and, uh, you know, righteous and unrighteous, and... Um, you know, noble and ignoble. So, uh, anyway, when I started developing my world, I'm trying to remember who was the first characters I made up. I made up a... Uh, hold on. I adapted a bunch of characters. I actually did this, this weird project thing where I had all these, uh, like, different versions of Captain America throughout the ages that, and I might show you where, where I am, who I am, and I had 
a uh, a Mongolian Captain America, a uh, you know like from the past, um, a black Captain America type guy in the you know in the present. So he's a little bit more like um, like the uh, MCU version of uh, uh, of the Falcon, just because I don't know the Falcon so well, and I wanted these guys to all be bird. When I say different versions of Captain America, I thought, what if I did? Uh, you know, four different versions of Captain America, and they were, like, Golden Age, you know, Silver Age, Bronze Age, and, like, 90s. And um, they were all based on birds, and they all had similar, like, flight-slash-gravity powers-slash, um, you know, they all had the same power source, which was this jewel. Instead of all having super serum, super soldier serum, they all had, like, this jewel thing that collected light and absorbed it and turned it into power for them and it enabled them to do different stuff. And you can bend light and gravity and flying and energy blasts and all sorts of stuff like that. But so that was the common factor, and that's how they were each these different eras. So I did one that was very much like the MCU's modern-looking uh, guy, um, <clears throat> like you know from the movies, uh, the Captain America suit where they give him, where it's like super modern, super cool. Uh, and I have him be like a military vet, and he does stuff in that capacity. And then I had my '90s lady, white lady, uh, be based off of a pigeon, and she's like uh, street art. Uh, she does like graffiti and has like paintballs that she shoots and stuff, kind of like. She'd be off a pigeon, so kind of like pigeon poop. That was the idea. And um, she uh, is like a skater, because it's the 90s. And she's wearing like a poncho, kind of looks like a like a pigeon, basically. Uh, the other guy was a black guy, was a hawk. And then I had, oh, my Silver Age guy, was he white? I don't remember. But originally it was going to be like a World War II type guy. Um, and then I made him into this, oh, no, I think he was the World War II type guy. And then I have like... You know, and he's a you know white soldier or whatever, and then there's the Mongolian guy. So like, right there, I've got. Oh no no no! I changed that that one. I changed to a um, Mexican, like a lady in Mexico, Indian lady in Mexico, who has these flying power or these. Uh, she's kind of like a like an Aztec bird type thing, and uh, anyway, in no way do I think diversity is our strength because that's like just a stupid statement. What does that mean? In what context is it our strength? Um, uh, but anyway, I just. Some things just drive me up the wall, and, like, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes the way Kit or Flying Squirrel is written is, like, insane. Like, it's, it's from the perspective of somebody who, like, I don't know, obviously has a very different world view from me, and, like, despite the fact... Anyway, I think I've gone off too long talking about some of my own personal things and, this, you know, weird Marvel tangent and this diversity uh, tangent, <laughs> and, uh, anyway... I'm going to let it go and just say, you know, I still like it, and obviously I haven't quit Red Panda, uh, and if you had issues with, you know, the torture type thing in this, uh, it doesn't persist, so that's good, and I know the story continues to be interesting, and I think that Kit and Red Panda are an interesting, you know, pair, an interesting, uh, you know, dynamic duo. Well, why was I so negative about things this episode? Uh, Because I'm being truthful, I'm being honest, and... I want to say, despite my qualms with some of the things here... Hey, let's go through the back! Despite my qualms, uh, it's a really quality show, and I've stuck with it, and I decided to do this again. And I knew this was coming up, and yet I, uh, you know, wanted to persist with it, because I don't need to agree with everything that I watch, listen to, read, enjoy. I don't need to agree 100% with all of my media, and that's not something that matters to me. I care if it's entertaining... And I think it is. I think this was a solid episode of Red Panda. And I think it... Not that it only gets better from here, but... It, the, you know, the first season is not the best season. Believe it or not. It does get better from here. 
Anyway, that was the Red Panda Report done without notes. I jotted a couple things down uh, when I was listening to it earlier, but I had to do it without notes and while I was on the move. So hopefully you can uh, appreciate my passion and the, uh, the diversity of my opinions and my thoughts. Um, but anyway, uh, if you do, let me know. If you hated it, let me know. Uh, I want to make these episodes as entertaining as possible for you, the audience, because while I'm doing it for myself, for my enjoyment, I also want other people to enjoy it as well. So anyway, with that, this is MJ. I hope that you're well, and uh, this is me signing out. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.